Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we're starting a new series uh, next four weeks called Identity Theft. Uh, if you're not part of a group, you can get the book, this book on Amazon. Uh, and just search on Amazon and you can pick up that book uh, and you can may follow along uh, on your own if you'd like to. Uh, we're gonna be doing this the next, the next four weeks. Uh, several summers ago, I'm in the backyard with some grandkids and uh, one of my, a couple of my grandkids, they, they love uh, insects and all that, you know, bugs and that kind of stuff. And they'd flipped over a rock and they'd picked up some insects and put them in their hand. They brought them to me and said, uh, Papa, what's this? And I looked at it and said, oh, it's Rivy, my grandson. He said, what's this? I said, oh, Rivy, that, that, that's, that's a potato bug. And he's like, potato bug? Uh, why is it called a potato bug? And I had no idea. He had stumped me. So I do what every good grandfather does when their, when their grandchild asks them a question. I pull out my phone and I Google, uh, why is it called a potato bug? And I find out that apparently these little, little uh, potato bugs will eat potato starch and that's where they got their name. Um, but I, I told Rivy that you know, actually, I, I never really called these potato bugs what I've called roly polies. And because they get roll up in a little ball and they roll around in your hand and, um, and, and, and his eyes kind of lit up like, oh, that makes sense. It made sense to call him a roly poly. So he's like, okay, just kind of threw it down, you know, kind of <laughs> off in search of other bugs. And it just made me think that, you know, sometimes we name things and it'd be so much easier if we just gave clarity and described, you know, insects and animals the way they really are. For instance, the mosquito. Don't call it the mosquito, call it the dirty needle, right? <laughs> Because that's what it is. Or, or this, this animal here, the floaty potato. I mean, <laughs> or, or this one. This one makes total sense to me, the nope rope. Uh, or the furry nope. Yeah, keep your distance. Uh, my favorite, the panda whale. Total sense, right? We, we, we often have names, and names are great when they're descriptive. Some of you in the room were given a name at a very young age that described a little, yeah, kind of a little something unique about you. Uh, it was a description, it was a nickname. And some of you in the room are hoping that that nickname is just, it just it's gone. It never, is never revived. Uh, you're hoping that it is not shared. It doesn't come to life again. Uh, some of you are okay with that nickname. In fact, you still go by that nickname. It's a, it's a name that describes you. Uh, and they, you know, you know, their names like you know Debbie Downers, that person who's just super pessimistic. Trina and I had a person in our in our small group years ago, um, in a, in another church, not this one. And this woman, she was sharing her nickname in high school. She was called the Battle Axe, which described a little bit of her personality. She's married uh, to Steve, who was the Italian stallion. He was kind of like the man's man. Um, and and you know, we we had these nicknames, and we call people these things that just kind of describes them. You know, the tall guy with the curly hair. You called Q-tip, the short person with the curly hair, you called, you know, you know, ramen, or your best friend in college, you called Broby One Kenobi. We just make up names <laughs> to describe people and the role and the relationship we, we have with them. And, um, you know, for the most part, that, 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 that's okay. Sometimes, though, it, it can be, a, it can be a, a, a heavy thing that happens to us. But names are a pretty big deal. In fact, in the Bible, names are, are brought forth as, as being important, even powerful, uh, names not only describe, they actually will reveal destiny. Sarai will become Sarah. Sarah means princess. She's married to Abram, who will become Abraham. 
the father of many. Jacob will become Israel. Gideon will be out of fear from a, a vast horde of his army will be in a wine press uh, taking grain and threshing it and an angel of the Lord will come up to him and, and call him the mighty man of valor. He's hiding. The angel says, you mighty man. God sees something in him and this is who he is going to be. And this just has happened in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. Simon will be called Peter. Saul will be called Paul, there's this description of not only who you are, but who you are going to be. Answering this question, who are you? Who are you? And I don't know how you would answer that question if you were asked, but just listen for a moment from Ephesians chapter one of how you are described by God. I mean, just think of it. Listen to how Paul, the Apostle Paul, describes anyone who is in relationship with Jesus. And it's just six verses here, but, but it's just packed full of description. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, verse three, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And just listen to some of the words used to describe you. This is, this is what Paul says. You are blessed. You are loved. You are chosen. You are holy. You are faultless. You are adopted. You're pleasing, you're purchased, you're forgiven. You have been showered with kindness and grace and wisdom and understanding. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are faultless. Just, you are faultless. That's weird, isn't it? Isn't it weird? It's just something about, it's like, uh, okay. You are pleasing. Yeah, that, that could be even more weird, right? I mean, I mean, there are married couples who are saying, you are faultless. Yeah, we'll talk later. I mean, uh, come on. <laughs> right? So here's the question. Why is it that I can read something from Ephesians? This is the word of God. We talked about the Bible last week and the authority of the scriptures. Here's the word of God. Here's how God is describing us. He's calling us faultless and forgiven and loved and blessed. And, and the good news of the gospel kind of flits around out there. But the reality of our lives, the words that we use to describe ourselves, the self-talk, the voice that goes off in our brain doesn't say this about us. Different words. Like, Damaged goods, disappointment, second class citizen in the kingdom of heaven, failure, not enough, 
It's, it's such a weird thing. And when, when that happens, I mean, here we got this, this, this beautiful, just ransacking of a language to try and describe who we are in Christ and how incredibly blessed we are. Yet the reality it is is so often that's not who we believe we are and that is because we have become victims of identity theft. We've had our true identity stolen from us. And friends, in this series, what we want to do is we want to unpack the ways that that gets stolen from us and also unpack the, the truth of who we are so that we could sink, let it sink in. A guy named Rob Reamer, he's an author. He wrote the book Soul Care. He was here last year and spoke. Reamer in his book Soul Care says, your identity in Christ is your foundation to a healthy soul. Who you are determines how you behave. What you believe about yourself influences your level of maturity, peace, and soul health. If you have a faulty understanding of the foundational truth of who you are, this will lead to cracks in your soul, which will lead to significant brokenness. Here's what I wanna do today as we get, get launched into this series. I wanna just, just define what do we mean by identity? What are we talking about? And then what I want to do is I want to, I want to uh, kind of take something that's invisible, make it visible. I want to, um, I, 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 like, like a nickname that has been imposed on you. There is a cultural script that is being imposed on you that needs to be brought into the light. It's a, call it an identity formation process. It, this happens in all cultures and all societies. We want, to, we want to make that visible. And then what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the practical implications of that. All right, then how, how, do, we, how do we move forward in that, okay? What is identity? And we'll, we'll get to that. Well, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that. What's the script, that the, the imposed uh, script that it's on us? And then, uh, okay, so then what do we do? So here's the definition. Here's identity. Identity gives me a sense of who I am and why I am valuable. It answers the question, who are you? Who am I? And here's, here's the deal. When you ask that question and, and, and you answer it, like so many of us will, will answer it with our occupation. Well, I'm, I'm this. I'm a, I'm a small business owner. Well, when you, when you answer the question, I, I'm a small business owner, what that's going to lead to is you answering the second question. Why, why, why am I valuable or how am I valuable? Well, it's, it's going to be connected to the small business how successful you are. And, uh, and so what we want to do is, we wanna, who am I? I want to answer that question. Why am I valuable? You, you might answer it not with, a, with an occupation. You might with, answer it with a role you play in life. Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a widow. And, and, and then how you get to value will flow right from that. So we'll just define that and say that it gives me a sense of who I am and why I am valuable. Now let's get to this, this invisible script that's being, this, this name or this identity formation process that's being imposed on us and let's make this visible. And I'm gonna do this with the help of a guy named Charles Taylor. Taylor, is a, he's, a, um, he's a philosopher, he's a Canadian philosopher, he wrote this book called The Sense of Self. It's not a very inspiring book, it's actually a very hard book to read, um, and, um, and, and, and he's Canadian, but you know, we don't hold that against him. But, uh, <laughs> it, but, but what he says is actually, it's very brilliant, he's very profound, and with the help of Greg Gallagher, our tech director, he's kind of, I'm trying to, put the, to make it visual to help us understand how people 
pursue significance. How people try to answer the question, who am I and why do I matter? And in culture, over, over history, this has changed. And there's some, some major moves. I just, this is kind of cliff notes from his book. And we'll start here, like say 2000 BC, 1500 BC, you had a lot of tribes and clans. And the primary way that people were validated or the, the, the thing that they pursued was to be a person of honor. Now, I want you to notice that that honor is, it's external, it's outside of the person in the tribe. And if you're a male, if you want the tribe, they're the validator, they're the the decisive ones who say whether or not you're gonna be a person of honor. If you want to be called a person of honor, you must be a warrior, which means you're going to battle. And uh, and when you go to battle, if you come out victorious, then you will be called a man of, of honor. If you go to battle and you're wounded, your scars are scars of honor. If you are killed in battle, you die an honorable death. Now, that's how you got honor as as a male. A female, a woman, how they were called honorable is when they were married and they had children. And specifically, if they gave birth to boys. They had sons. If you had sons, not just one, but if you had more, the more sons you had, the more honorable, the more honor you received from the tribe. This identity of being a person of honor is outside yourself. Now here's the deal, if you're a man and you are deathly afraid of going to battle, you stuff that. You push that aside because you you want that identity as being an honorable warrior, uh, a a brave warrior, so you stuff that and you, you sacrifice your personal desires for the sake of the tribe. A woman, who doesn't want to have children, doesn't want to get married, will sacrifice personal desires for the sake of receiving this gift of honor and being called an honorable person by the tribe. It's this identity that's outside of ourselves. It's validated by an outside voice, the tribe, and this is something that you must pursue. That's 2,500 BC, that's a, a, it's kind of a broad stroke, but that's, that was the, how you got an identity. That's, how, that's who you are and why you're valuable. Now, move from 1500 BC to about 500 BC and you get to the age of philosophy. You're introduced to guys like Aristotle and Plato and a really important name is the name Confucius. Confucius would talk about a virtuous life. In fact, he would highlight five virtues and he would say that a person who is valuable is someone who aspires and lives to these five virtues. They are virtues like honesty, Appropriate behavior, honoring your family, being honest. There's these virtues that are, that now, it, now it's actually, it's not so much a tribe, it can be, society can be the one who validates this, but actually now it's the family, it's your parents. And so again, this identity of being a virtuous person or living a virtuous life, that's something that is external to you. The voice that matters is your parents and your family. And uh, by the way, much of the world today, the non-Western world still pursues identity this way, okay? It's the Western world that's shifted a bit here. But but in in this day, the, the identity formation, it's an external thing you are chasing, it's an outside voice that validates, and once again, if you are, I don't wanna behave appropriately, you suppress that. For the, for the sake of family and giving the family name face. 
respecting and honoring the family. I, and I don't want to, I, I kind of I want to be dishonest. I mean, there's some gains to be made. Well, you don't want people to see that. And so you, you push it down, you make sacrifices so that it's hidden. And, and this is the second identity formation process. The third one is the modern identity. And what Taylor talks about in his books, he talks about this major shift that happens. You can see it here visually. Instead of identity being something that's external, it's internal. Meaning, an identity discovery process is something that you engage in and you announce to society who you are. And no longer is it external, now it's internal. And another shift that's taking place here is you are not sacrificing to the to society or to your family. Actually, it's flipped. When you announce who you are, society and your family must sacrifice to you. The shift has taken place here. And now they must adapt, they must change to, uh, to what, who you say you are. And then what's happening here is the validator, the voice that says that you are a person of value, you count, that person is you. Now here's an interesting thing that Taylor points out. He says that, that this, this modern identity, often what you'll see is in the arts, this will be, this, you, this is one of those times that the invisible script is made visible. It happens in the arts and film. Uh, how many of you saw the movie Fantastic Beasts? Thank you for your confession. Yes, I did too. Here, here, here's the script in Fantastic Beasts. If you are a person, if you are a wizard or a witch who represses your gift of magic, you uh, are an obscurus. You have this disease. And in the movie, it's like a black amoeba that goes around and causes all kinds of destruction. And Obscuria is someone who's a host to the disease. It's the script. How many of you saw the movie Frozen? Okay, yeah, that's a little, yeah. Okay, good, yes. Father, forgive them for they have seen Frozen. <laughs> Remember the song that's sung in that, in that movie? I want, you, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to uh, the lyrics, okay? Because here's what you're gonna hear. You're gonna hear a movement from someone from a traditional ancient identity moving to a modern identity, okay? Listen to the words. Be the good girl you always have to be. Oh, man, that is so, the validator of the parents, be the good girl. Some of you were told that. Just be good. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know, but let it go. Right? Just let it go. And then I, it's time to see what I can do. Test the limits and break through. No wrong, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. The script becomes visible. And it's not intentional by the movie, right? It's not like they're gonna say, well, we're not gonna sneak this in. No, they're just, they're just living according to the script. It's the spirit of the age. Now here's what you have to understand. See, some of us are looking at this up here and we're going, Man, if we just go back to the tribe time, man, that's when they had it right. Or if we just go back to 500 BC, that, that would make things so much easier. No, no, no. Every one of those systems is oppressive. Every one of them is. See, here, you're trying to find out who you really are, and, you, and it's changing. What Taylor says in his book is fragile. Every couple of years, you change who you think you are. 
There's this constant shifting and changing and it's just so fragile. And not only that, it's fragmenting. This is why in society, we've got increasingly these building these walls between people because we can't associate with people who won't accept who we are. This is who I am, you must, uh, you must accept me, and if I don't accept you, then I can't have any relationship with you. Which friends, this is why politics is so toxic today. This is why when you start having conversations about sexuality, you feel like you're just tiptoeing through a landmine field, right? Because it's like, we, you don't, this is who I am, this is who you, we, we can't be in relationship with each other. It's so much anxiety and stress that's produced as we're trying to discover who we really are. It's fragile, it's fragmenting. And the second one, this is incredibly oppressive as well because what happens if you have a mom or a dad who will never speak a good word from the outside? What if you try and you perform and you work and you do everything they say but your dad never says I love you and I'm proud of you? What if your parents are so dysfunctional that, that it's just, it's impossible to please them? You want to be a musician, you have a gift of, of, of music and, and writing songs and singing and, and playing instruments, but your, but your parents say to you, no, no, you're going to be a doctor. It's, it's oppressive. How about the tribe? What do you do if you're a guy and you're like, I, I'm going to go AWOL, I'm, I'm not going into the battle? You'll never be called honorable. What if you're overcome with fear and you run from the front lines? You are dishonorable. What if you're a woman and you're single? There's no chance that you will be called honorable. What if you're a woman and you're married and you're pregnant and you give birth to a girl and another girl and another girl? Not good enough, not honorable. What if you're married and you're struggling with infertility? Some of you know the weight. See, every one of these identity formation processes, it's just, it's just so oppressive. It's so oppressive. None of them are the right way. So what do we do? We realize that there is a God who sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus comes and he lives the life that you and I couldn't live. He lives a life that, that it actually, it's an honorable life. Jesus comes and lives a life that's the virtuous life. He's temperate, he's self-controlled, he behaves appropriately, he's honest, he's compassionate, benevolent. And, and not only that, he knows who he is. He knows exactly who he is and he knows who he's not. God sends his son and Jesus lives the life that you and I could not live. He does that for us and then he goes and dies the death that we all should have died. Why? so that we could be reconciled to the Father, so that actually the life that he lived can be applied to us so that we can be a person of honor, so that we can be described as virtuous and so that we can know who we really are. This is what Jesus has done. All other identity formation process that's placed before us leads to wounding, hurt, and oppression. It's Jesus who gives us life. Revelation chapter two and chapter three speaks of a day in which you're gonna be given a new name. 
Revelation 2, um, Jesus writing a letter to the church says, to everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. It's private, it's intimate. And then in chapter three, verse 12 says, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm gonna give you a new name. It's gonna be who you are. Destiny. I'm gonna write my new name on you. I'm gonna write the name of the city, New Jerusalem, on you. I'm gonna write, I'm gonna give you your new name. I'm gonna write my name on you. I'm gonna write the, the city, the New Jerusalem, on you. My God's name. We're all gonna be tatted up in heaven. I don't know if that's good news or bad news for you. <laughs> He's gonna mark us. Friends, can I just say to you today, in order for you to receive the new name, you must let go of the old ones. There have been names that have been imposed on you that are robbing you of the destiny God has for you. And I also want to say that God has New names for us. There's seasons in our lives that he describes with names. You see this all through the scriptures. Yes, there'll be a new name in heaven. But in order to embrace the destiny of what he's calling to us, we must rid our lives of the heaviness of these names that are robbing us. They're, we've been pilfered, been stolen from. Our identity has been burglarized. And we need to say goodbye to them. In each row, I, on one of the ends, there should be a little stack of name tags. If you're seated close to that, would you grab one of those and just kind of pass those down the row? Well, I'd love it if each one of you just take one. And if for some reason you can't find one of those, just grab a piece of paper from the, there's a little sermon pad note thing, just grab that. Here, here's what I want us to do. I think it's very important for us to write down on this name tag. You don't have to do it now. You can do it later. What I want you to do is I want you to write down those names that were spoken over you that have wounded you, that have robbed you. And it may be more than one. It may be many. But you need to write them down on that name tag. And then what you need to do is later on this week, you need to have your own personal ceremony and burn that or shred it, throw it in the garbage. You just do what you need to do. But release it. And then begin asking God for a new name. And what's my new name? Now some of you know right away the name that's been spoken over you. Others of you, just a little, little prompting, okay? So let me, I'm gonna read a list of potential nicknames that you may have been called. And maybe this will prompt something. 
okay? Some of them, by the way, will sound like positive. And they too are oppressive. Like the first one here, Golden Boy. It's an, it's an oppressive nickname. I mean, it might, it might feel validating, but what it does is it puts incredible pressure on you that every time you touch something, you've got to turn it to gold. Oh, what a weight. Some of you have had that name spoken over you. Crybaby. Mr. Perfect. Goody two-shoes. Felon. Jock. Nerd. Smarty pants. Airhead. Teacher's pet. Mama's boy. Daddy's girl. Wimp. Fatty patty. Loner. Band geek. Class clown. Drama king. Queen. Unwanted. Worthless. Easy child. Independent. A pain in the donkey. There's children in the room. <laughs> Sloppy. Messed up. Too emotional. Loud mouth. The intellectual, the academic. Chatty Cathy. Runner up. Spoiled. Favorite. The anointed one. The tall one. Shorty. Creative one, preppy, rebel, pothead, slut, junkie, prodigal, the shy one. And there's other names that have been spoken over you. Friends, God's got a new name for you. It's a name of destiny. In order for you to embrace it and receive the identity that he has for you, you must release. A lot of that releasing happens through forgiveness. Some of you, you're recalling names spoken over you, but you're also recalling names you've spoken over others. It's a moment for you to go and ask for forgiveness as well. And you break the curse, you break the chain. God has a destiny for you. He has a new name for you. An incredible identity. And we're gonna talk about how we reclaim it and how we walk in that. Let's pray together. I invite you just to bow your heads, close your eyes. Would you take some time to listen for the name that you need to put on that name tag? What's the word or words, the hurtful, wounding words? And Lord, as we recall those names, there's hurt that comes with it, so we invite your spirit to comfort now. Be your comforter. And as you comfort us, Lord, would you also help us to hear what the new name is? What's the new name you want to give to us? Lord, I thank you that your new name for us does not cause any striving. It does not exhaust us. 
It gives us great peace. It's not a condemning name. It's a name of promise. Thank you for the promise you're speaking over your dear ones who matter so much to you. Thank you that you would go so far as to invite us and adopt us into your family. We, your children, your kids, say to you, our daddy God, we love you and we're grateful. We praise in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.